Hi, good afternoon, and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm your host, Mary Fran Johnson, CEO of Mary Fran Johnson Media, and a contributing columnist on CIO.com, where I write about boardroom and career strategies for technology leaders. Twice a month, we produce CIO Leadership Live with the generous support of my friends at CIO.com and our CIO Leadership Council. We're streaming live to you right now on LinkedIn and on our YouTube channel, Tech Talk. And we welcome any of our viewers today who are joining us to take part in this conversation by submitting some questions of your own. We'll be watching for those questions and doing our best to pass them along to my esteemed guest, who today is Cheryl Bunton, the Senior Vice President and CIO of Gulfstream Aerospace. Cheryl joined the company in 2015 to lead its business technology unit which means she's in charge of all the technology solutions, the cybersecurity and the digital transformation strategies company-wide. Gulfstream Aerospace, which is one of the major business units of General Dynamics, produces the world's most technologically advanced business aircraft. The Gulfstream One flew way back in 1958, and today there are 3,000 of these business jets in service worldwide. A few weeks ago in July, there was a news release about the new ultra-long-range Gulfstream G800, which made its first international flight from the company headquarters in Savannah, Georgia, to Farnborough, England, where it's participating in the Farnborough International Air Show. Before she joined Gulfstream, Cheryl served as the worldwide CIO for Agco Corp, and before that, as CIO for Southwire Company, which is a wire and cable manufacturer. Her previous executive roles include serving as a general manager for an SAP consulting firm. And she also spent more than a decade with then AT&T's Capital Corp's industrial finance business. So she is a very experienced executive on both the technology and the business fronts. Cheryl, it's great to have you here today. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. I think that's a, a nice way to say she's very mature in her career. <laughs> You're very accomplished in your career. And if that requires a certain amount of maturity, then we're gonna, we'll take that, right? Fine. Okay, let's start out with, uh, tell us about the big picture view of how Gulfstream's business has been doing. And as a spoiler alert from the research I've done, it's pretty well booming during the pandemic. So talk about how that's been happening. So I won't comment too much on it, but if any of you have flown recently, you know what kind of disruptions are happening with commercial aircraft and then and ju just everything that goes along with a pandemic. Um, business has been very good for the last 18 months. I think one of the interesting things to think about is we're a little bit different from most manufacturing companies. Most of the people that I worked for before, you sold something and then the next quarter you made it and delivered it at, at Gulfstream. What we sell today may not be delivered for two, three, four years, mm -hmm. depending on uh, manufacturing cycles and um, certifications and, and things like that. So it's a very long view company. Mm -hmm. and so it's great if you're looking to join Gulfstream, you can see we have a fantastic backlog. Uh, it's a really good time to join because we know where our business is the next five, six years. Yeah. Well, and you surprised me when we were getting ready for this interview by explaining that you only produce 120 of the business jets per year. So That's you're, right. you're yeah. not a CIO who is thinking about revenue generating from the no. IT standpoint. Talk about 
that a little bit. You know, each of these aircraft is is extraordinary. Um, they're custom uh, on the inside, and you know, we serve not only um, not only the business jet customer. We also do work for different militaries, heads of state around the world. Um, so there's so every one of these is different, and and we will actually produce more than that in in 23 and 24. Um, but it's a it's a very different kind of manufacturing environment. Uh, you have some of the same things where how fast and how efficiently you can accomplish something is the same. But when we create one of these aircraft, it could be in service 30, 40 years. Yeah. So it's it's an extraordinary manufacturing journey, one I love very much. It's it's been great to be part of. Well, and you have, as long as I've known you, I think back to your Southwire days, you have always been a manufacturing frontline yeah. kind of CIO. I still remember yeah. a story you told me about driving around in one of those enormous farm machines with your hard hat yeah. on. When I was at ANCO, it was actually one of my favorite parts of the job. I used to um, go to different plants around the world and they'd let me take out the biggest tractor on a test track. They don't let me do that with the airplanes. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Every time I, talk to you, every time I talk to you, I'm like, well, why don't you just jet up to Boston? Surely they'll like lend you one of the jets and it doesn't work yeah, like that. It doesn't know. work like that. No. Well, let's talk about how the digital models, the digital transformation work that you have been doing probably since 2015, when you really think about it, I'm seven years in, um, but over the last two to three years, there have been all kinds of pandemic-related difficulties around this. How have these digital models, what's been important to advance or adapt during these last two years? I, I've heard the period called the great uncertainty. Um, the great although, something, for sure. Yeah, the, the great something, and none of the words are good, right? Some, and there's no um, happy words there. Yeah. Uh, so, so a couple of things. You're right. I've been here for almost seven years now. It, it feels like home. The first, first thing we did. So I was brought here not only for digital transformation. It was a little bit pre-digital transformation, but the idea of building truly enterprise class um, IT at Gulfstream. And the first area we focused on was was the base, right? So the infrastructure, the cyber, making sure that was ready. And then you start talking about how do we transform the way that we work for applications and things like that. Mm -hmm. So we did much of that by 2018. Um, and, then, and then it really became, now how do we transform the way that we work, particularly on the shop floor and service? You know, everything that we do is customer centric, making sure that our customers have a great experience, either in the aircraft that's delivered, their time with it, um, how they interact with us on our customer support side and, and trying to make that a better experience. And we had a fair amount of legacy debt and we've been working through that. And something I'm sure we'll talk about later, what we really tried to do, my team and I, was to look at we know where we are today, so let's call that box A. And we know where we want to go, box B. And we really need to think about how do we execute well, is how do we get from A to B? Because you can't just go, okay, give me $100 million in five years and I'll get back to you with a lovely digital environment. That's not the way it works, right? So we have to think about how do we do things between now and then, mm -hmm. and that's where we came up with the idea of what we call the agility layer. And that's really um, 
it's not I have referred to it in private. It's not private as the fake it till you make it strategy, yeah. but it's the idea that you put a front end that maybe collects eight, like something we're rolling out um, actually Monday um, mm -hmm. called our um, completions digital manufacturing. It's essentially a cockpit that takes eight systems that are disparate, mm -hmm. puts them all in turn into a new digital front end that makes it so much easier it's got a modern user experience. People don't have to sign into all the different systems. Everything ends up in SAP. So you end up with a completely different experience and it affects 2000 people. Yeah. And these and are- Roll it into our green aircraft production area. It could affect another 4,000 people. So that's that's the kind of thing that, that we've been focused on. And the great uncertainty, as you called it, I would say the one silver lining of that, maybe two, that we'll talk about another one later, is um, I think it moved our digital adoption forward about five years yes. because everybody had to learn how to use Teams. Um, and once you start with a different kind of collaboration tool mm -hmm. and you say, and you can point to and go, that's digital. When we talk about digital, that's digital. Uh, yeah. And that, that works out pretty well. Yeah. Well, and I've heard versions of that story, I think, from almost every CIO, every successful CIO mm -hmm. that we've talked with over the last few years. And I think it came down to kind of the beauty of not having an option. It wasn't like, oh, get to know how to use And you have to. It's much easier to do. Right. That's right. Well, necessity, mother of invention, all that sort oh, my of thing. Yeah. I know. I know. Well, and one of the things when we talked earlier, you mentioned that there is with your with your boss and with your other business colleagues at the SVP level, there's a real understanding of what it takes to do a truly digital transformation and not something that just applies to the business technology group, but right. for the whole company. I think, you know, with with varying degrees of acceptance slash understanding, my boss, absolutely. Um, you know, and I think the current labor challenges have again acted as an accelerator mm -hmm. uh, with our growth pattern uh, coming up the next few years we've ha we had to hire a lot of people anyway yeah but with the great resignation and some of that kind of stuff you you end up having to bring in a lot of new people mm -hmm. and if you can do that with a user experience for the applications that they use every day that is far more intuitive and far more um, like what they're used to in their commercial or in, in their consumer experience, it's a lot easier to get someone to that effectiveness level uh, without draining all of your longtime talent trying to bring a bunch of newbies along. So yeah. again, that understanding that the benefit of fresh digital user experience that's similar to a consumer experience, I think um, has been a real motivator for yeah. people. Well, and even beyond what's happened with the pandemic, I think the, the I've heard CIOs refer to as the Amazon or the Google factor, you know, mm -hmm. the things that people could do at home in their personal lives mm -hmm. have also accelerated. I think, it, of course, IT leaders were probably already on board, but it certainly accelerated the ability to talk about it with their business colleagues and the board members right. and, and such. 
Um, let's, before we, I definitely want to get back to the agility layer because I, well, I love anything with a title and that just sounds really <laughs> cool. And, and some thought went into that, you know, you didn't give it some long. I'm a visual person. So I actually have a visual in my mind when yeah. I talk about that. <laughs> exactly. But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit more about the size and structure of your business technology group. Mm -hmm. And you don't call it IT, you call it BT. And yes. that obviously is a conscious choice. So talk about talent retention, acquisition strategies, how they've been changing and, and just sort of your view on all that. Well, what I would tell you is I'm very, very fortunate to have an extraordinary leadership uh, team that honestly, thank God, they've all stuck with me. Um, it's a great group. We like to say we're trauma bonded from how we built this place starting yes. seven years ago. Some yeah. of them, some of them were here and got promoted. Some of them came from the outside uh, to work with me, and I think it's a, it's been an extraordinary journey that we're on. And I think, um, I think one of the major things that we want to think about is how we deliver going forward and make sure that everything that we do makes sense for the business. Um, in terms of structure, I have uh, three application teams so that they're dedicated to certain parts of the business. We have one that focuses just on our engineering and innovation and flight group, mm -hmm. all the sort of PLM kind of stuff. Uh, bar none, best PLM team in the business. Uh, we regularly get rated and they're extraordinary. I have PLM, PLM is PLM product lifecycle management. Yes. For, for those of us who didn't grow up in the manufacturing environment. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's okay. So we, we, we have a highly engineered product, uh, mm -hmm. something like 2,500 engineers in the organization across all the different parts of yep. the business. I have a fantastic global infrastructure team that has built a great environment. We do almost everything in source. So we manage our environment. Um, my information security cyber team is again, second to none. And I feel very fortunate that all these folks have stayed, stayed with me through some very, very difficult years. Um, I have a great uh, Power BI uh, reporting and data team, mm -hmm. and I have a great portfolio manager. So it's a, it's um, something that makes me happy to come to work every day. Yeah, yeah. Well, and every time I talk to you, you, you are just bubbling with all kinds of new projects and things going on. I mean, I, I hesitate to label it this way, but you have so much fun being a CIO. Oh, very true. I think um, that's why it's so much fun to talk to you. Not all the days are fun. Uh, <laughs> I, as you know, my hair has turned gray in the last nine months. I call it my gray, so it's not all fun and games. Yeah. Uh, there are many nights I don't sleep in the middle of the night from like three to five is my wake up time. Mm -hmm. But um, it's still really fun. Um, yeah. Gulfstream is a great cultural fit for me. I enjoy it very much. It's it's felt like home. AT&T was my first home. Yeah. My career, I was there yeah. 14 years, uh, and Gulfstream is is the other one. So yeah. it's um, it feels good to be here, and there's a lot to do. So yeah, I'm well, never I, also, bored. <laughs> I also love that you started out in business. You actually started in sales at AT and T. Yes, I did. Corp at the time, 22, right that, out of college. Yeah, and I love that you went from a business roles into IT, and you loved it so much you stayed. Yes, I I actually consider myself I. 
referred to as uh, accidental CIO. Mm -hmm. Southfire asked me to become their CIO. I'd never thought about being one. Yeah. And uh, I told the guys when they interviewed me, I said, I've never been one. And they said, oh, we think you can figure it out. And uh, it's my favorite thing I've ever done. So yeah. Yeah. And I've had so many conversations like that with CIOs, especially ones who think they want to do another senior VP type role. Like right. they decide they want to be the senior VP of supply chain and or and supply chain. Can Nobody be wants to be that right now. Mary Fran. No, no, that's true. That was probably a bad example. But they often get over into supply chain and they find out that it is not it doesn't have the frontiers of new technologies and things right. emerging. It has it's it's an operating role very much yeah. so. And of course, they're good at it and they get in and I think they just get a little tired of not having anything exciting on the horizon. Yeah. And of yeah. course, these days, I just those are the people that are probably up from two to five a.m. Oh man, worrying about stuff. Has that? How much has that affected you at Gulfstream from a supply chain difficulty standpoint? What are the issues that are are those the things that are waking you up at three in the morning? Well, it's always cyber. That's why I'm awake in the middle of the night. You know, I I mean, I'm only going to comment from a business technology perspective. Um, Obviously, it's been a challenge. We've done some strategic things like moving to more Citrix and getting away from, you know, the powerful laptop on every desk. And mm -hmm. but the challenge is right now uh, getting anything, access points, servers. So, you know, we're used to being able to have safety stock at a variety of different suppliers and our partners always took great care of us. Um, we could need something and get it within a day or two. And now it's months. Uh, I had somebody give me a, you know, there was some, something big we need to do. And they gave me a timeline of 42 weeks. I'm like, at that point, let's not call it weeks. Let's just say a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's the way it is. So you have to plan with an even further horizon. And I really hope it'll get better, but I don't think it will for another 18 to 24 months. Right. Yeah. I know, I think right from the beginning of the pandemic, we have, maybe it was wishful thinking, but we've basically gotten the wrong guesstimates on everything. You know, as everything in terms of life returning to what oh, it was right. like in 2019. Right. And we get ever turn, I don't think it ever returns. I think we adjust to something new. Well, the most popular topic these days on the various virtual summits and the things that we do in the events business for CIO has to do with the future of work. And it's all right. about, the people and and I've had so many CIOs over the years say that well the technology is the easy part it's the people that is the hard part and now it's the people and all the situations with and I know we're going to talk about hybrid and remote yeah. and workplace all that but before we get into that you mentioned just in passing about insourcing and I I love stories about insourcing because I feel like it's owning your own manifest destiny when you bring as you did when you came in in 2015, infrastructure was largely outsourced when you got there. And now you are very much insourced. Why are you passionate about insourcing? So I think I think about it this way. Um, this will be terribly unpopular and I'll, I'm sure I'll get hate mail about it. <laughs> we, want, we want controversy. We want people tweeting about this. You know, we, we do a fair amount of point solutions in the cloud, but I think at the end of the day, we have to sift through some of the marketing jargon about the cloud. The cloud is somebody else's data center with other people doing IT things for you at a distance. Exactly. And 
I much prefer having an extraordinarily good team of people who really know what they're doing and most importantly, belong to the same company that mm -hmm. I do. Mm -hmm. I believe you get a better outcome. They have a better career path. You're less likely to treat them or be treated as a commodity. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel strongly that over time you spend less it's more cost effective, but most importantly, it's a better experience for the rest of the business. I mean, our, our metrics when I came in were absolutely terrible and um, they very quickly got better when we insourced everything and, and have stayed there. But, you know, if I think about when the pandemic started or we're on the coast, so we have hurricanes, uh, Savannah, mm -hmm. we had a hurricane in 2016 the remnants of the outsource group immediately pulled all their people. Well, we strategically removed people ahead of the storm and basically shifted to Atlanta and North mm -hmm. um, and continued to run the organization. And a lot of times, you know, when you have an outsourcer, they're going to make decisions that they're going to make with their company's best interest in mind. Sure. We it's wanted business. to have an IT group that was as passionate about serving the Gulfstream internal customer mm -hmm. as Gulfstream is passionate about serving our external customers. Yes. And, and that's really, that's really the philosophy. Well, and I think that um, I'll add to that about insourcing and in that I think it has two big impacts. One is on the culture, the, the culture inside the business or IT organization, and also on the innovative abilities. Yeah, absolutely. So you can't have a you can't have a bespoke innovation uh, approach from an outsourcer who is serving many many customers. And I mean that is it's a it's a kind of different business model world in a lot of ways. And it works wonderfully for little companies that littler companies. It's in a great way to grow, right? It's a great it way is. to grow. It is. It's so it's very <laughs> situational. You know what, you're, you're right, Mary Frank, because if you think about it this way, if you go into one of our hangars, which by the way, are all air conditioned, right? If you go into one of our hangars and you see these incredible aircraft being built and you see the kind of work that goes into it and the level of commitment and quality and detail and just the sheer beauty of these things you have an appreciation that you take back to your support work and say okay what can i do to make this easier what can i do to make this better and you don't get that from well we'll talk about remote mm -hmm. in a minute you don't get that from being fully remote whether that's because you're an outsource employee or you never come to the office and i think it's that connection to what we actually do and what it's like to be on the shop floor and actually experience what our people experience. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest challenges we have, if you think about, so anybody that does infrastructure, you have um, say wireless access points up mm -hmm. at your ceiling. Okay, now do it with long metal tubes that have planing surfaces called wings on the side. <laughs> you don't have an appreciation for the challenges that go with managing that unless you're in the hangar of saying, show me what your response rate is like. How, yes, exactly. How could you, yeah. in right. other words? Yeah. The, um, 
and I, I think that especially the cultural aspects of it, I know that you are a, you're kind of a student of cultures within company cultures and how to improve them. You mentioned when we talked earlier that you've been influenced by a, a business book published in 2018 by Dan Coyle called The Culture Code. Talk a little bit about I don't know that. him. I just you love the book. You just love the book. The color. I, oh. I hand it out like candy. Yeah. Uh, it's really good. And it's, I think it's clear. It's, you could easily glean things from it. I just, I think it's, mm -hmm. what I like about it is he's so purposeful. And he also talks about um, the value of humor and the value of clarity. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, listing your priorities over trying to over communicate them. Yes. And I think honestly, when we got ready for this, we talked about what was one of the lessons of, um, of the pandemic. And it's really, really leaning into communication and doing a better job of that. Yes. Uh, but, so when people ask me about what's a good book to read as a leader, mm -hmm. I like that one. I also like the multiplier effect. I think that's a really good one. Mm -hmm. The, um, I have a, a Cheryl a Cheryl Bunton quote now that I'm probably going to be quoting in the future, where you said that really that's the first response the communication aspects. The first responsibility of a leader is making sure people can work together and become a team. Absolutely. And I just and you know that's actually a pretty good segue into talking about hybrid and remote workplaces because the future of work, uh, as we've talked about with numerous IT leaders over the last two years is very much going to be a mix of different factors. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about how you do that with your business technology group today. There's some jobs like uh, programming and, and uh, some of the technical jobs that absolutely can be done 100% remotely, but right. how do you approach it uh, for Gulfstream business technology? You know, I think it's, a, it's an extraordinarily important um, discussion when we started coming back from um, the pandemic outages, so to speak, we came back in June of 2020, far, yeah. far sooner than many did. Mm -hmm. And I, I actually think my boss was brilliant for that. I, it was great foresight because the longer people are home full time, the less they want to come back. And I get that. I understand it. But um, but here, here's how I think about it. So I just talked about culture a little bit, but yeah. it's even more than culture. It's when you're in manufacturing, when you make things for a living, mm -hmm. three quarters of your organization can't work from home. You really can't build a landing gear in your dining room, right? right. So you have that, why do you get to work from home and I don't? Mm -hmm. uh, so you, you have that equity piece that you have to pay attention to. The other thing is, and I, Maybe it is my, as we said earlier, my maturity in my career. Mm -hmm. uh, I have uh, four kids. They're um, millennials and Gen Zs mm -hmm. and all transition into life. Uh, and, then, and then the many, many that work for me. One of the things I think about, if you work full-time from home and you wanna lead people, you're not, you're not gonna get there in your career until you go back to the office at least part-time. So in full disclosure, I actually work hybrid. I work three days in the office and two days from home. Sure. Um, and I love it. I think it's a great solution. I have, so we do this by roles, right? So if you are a mature in your career architect, you, you have been with us a while, we will absolutely let you work full-time from home, no problem. 
um, because because we know you, we know your skill set, we know that you already understand those things about working with um, mm -hmm. working with aircraft. Aerospace is, is not an easy environment. Um, but if you're new in your career, now if you're a developer and you always want to be a developer and you have no aspirations beyond developing code, we can talk about it. But I think for a lot of people just starting their IT career, and I, and I think back to when I was 22 to 28, I had a lot to learn. And one of the, some of the things that you have to learn, there, and this is from a purely thinking about you standpoint, if you're new in your career, you need to be in those meetings physically so that when Mary Fran says something that doesn't go over very well, you can see the boss go, ah, and just that slight little bit of, hmm, that, did, that didn't go so well. Yeah. And I think, I think that's formative, at least it was for me, maybe other people are, are um, great at that from the beginning. I, I needed a few two by fours, to be very honest, and I got them in person. <laughs> well, so many people, I mean, in the, uh, the early days of this too, um, I think everybody uh, had to change their communication style in various yeah. ways. For things to work over video yeah. and i've even done some and it can you know, be exhausting it is yeah. and it's actually more exhausting for our brains and all yeah, the things sure. we're doing yeah but um i've got two kids and they're both millennials and and one of them i remember a, a high school part-time job that he had and he was so frustrated even then and this would be back in the 90s right. and he said i don't know why i can't just do this from home and of course, what he does today is he's a senior engineer with Google. So yeah. perfect. But my um, my other kid, my daughter, is a psychiatrist who works in addiction. And she uh, never, she, you know, she does like you. She'll do a few days now from home because she's running an entire unit. Um, and but there is that that face to face that. But I think a, a lot, lot of value fun. there. And, I think and there is how to lead people, and you learn. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the, and, and I think the development opportunities to come from the happy collisions that you have, um, yeah. you know, it's a, I think it's, we are going to know for five to 10 years how it really affected people. But look at, I mean, even if you just let education inform you, if you know people with high schoolers who spent the first two years of the pandemic working from home, it, this is, yeah. It's, catastrophic yeah. for those kids yeah. and and when you're talking about somebody who's only five or six years older than that mm -hmm. i i yeah it's like well, I'm, i am sold out to hybrid i think it's a great idea uh we do a portion of our folks um full-time remote and always have to be honest pre-pandemic even mm -hmm. So. Well, and, and these are all the reasons why when I see, you know, the latest surveys or another story about, you know, nobody's going back to the office, I just roll my eyes at it because anything that is such an extreme reaction. It's a pendulum. It's going to be a pendulum, right? Well, and, I'm betting it settles ultimately on hybrid. And flexibility. I yeah. think it's yeah. going to settle on that. And I think it's also easier now for people even younger in their leadership careers to ask for that yeah. flexibility and not to be afraid to have the conversations because it's just if you're, and of course that gets back again to company culture. If exactly. you have a communicative supportive company right. culture, uh, you can talk about all these things. Um, and that's us, the right answer. Yeah. Let us segue over and talk about 
uh, I want to get back to the uh, digital, the agility layer. Explain what that is, where that idea comes from, and how it plays out today for Gulfstream's business technology group. So when I think, I, I like examples to help with some of this. So I talked a little bit about that digital manufacturing cockpit. Some of the other things, we just rolled out in April a, a 3D viewer. Um, it's on great technology, so it allows it allows the folks on the shop floor in our completion. So they're doing the inside of the aircraft. They can pull up just the part they need, build context around it. It will automatically populate the part numbers that they need and all the work instructions and automatically make sure they're on the latest version for that aircraft. Mm -hmm. So it does all this work behind the scenes that used to be very manual. It's also transportable inside the barrel of the aircraft. So we have all that worked out. So instead of printing a bunch of pieces of colored, big colored paper, and then writing all the part numbers and remembering the work instructions, now you can bring your laptop right up onto the plane, refer mm -hmm. to all of that, see it all there and have confidence to know that's right. So when we talk about agility layer, it's important to understand the underlying technology the CAD technology behind it has not changed yet. It will eventually, but when it does, it will make no difference to the shop floor. So this strategy has been, how do we really equip and improve our shop floor? The, I mean, they make the aircraft. Some of the most important people in the company by far, right? That's right. So how do we make their life better and then deal with all the change behind um, where it doesn't affect them on a regular basis. So they make the switch and then we do the, the change over time. Um, so that 3D viewer is one. One that we actually did a press release on not long ago is something called AIR. It's Aircraft Information Retrieval. And this is a, it's another platform play that we use. Um, when you fly a Gulfstream, you may own it for several decades or somebody will own it for several decades. We actually have a responsibility to the FAA to retain all of the documents re related to that specific aircraft number for 50 years. So if you're in IT, think about guaranteeing that the file you have today can still be read 50 years from now. Hmm. That. How do you make technology choices around that? That's really, I'm suddenly Very thinking carefully. Of, of Betamax versus VHS here. Right. I'm thinking because right. technologies, it, it they, informs all our choices, right? They go out of fashion, yeah. So one of the things that, that we still manage, but it's a document vault, uh, it's climate controlled and all that. And we had 70 years of certification documents, drawings, specs, everything. Uh, in there, we digitize those all during the last two years. They're all readable, and then there's an application on it that allows the guys on the shop floor again very quickly to obtain the exact certification documents and any revisions, all of that, yeah. right on their PC. Wow. And that was a yeah. significant game changer. They used to have to go check out documents. Ah. So, and now to, to do that, all they need is the number of the aircraft part and they can well, there, go. There's different ways that. that they can search it. There are okay. several different search. Yeah. Well, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's the fuzzy. Fuzzy logic. Fuzzy character. Yeah, fuzzy yeah, logic. Yeah. Get to do the Google type search. Um, the guy who's responsible for that calls it Google for Gulfstream. Oh, nice, nice. I actually admire a lot of the names you give things like air, aircraft info retrieval. 
that actually says what Same it is. Guy. Yep. Yeah. And oh. another another one we did, we like to keep aerospace themes, right? The other one we did is called Dock Hanger, same kind of technology, but it's um we we are a highly regulated environment. So we have to, there's a lot of workflows, a lot of documents, yeah. things flowing around um with the FAA, with our ODA. And so we built a dock hanger way of solving that same same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. The, um, truly digital transformation in that we were we replaced an old MES and put in a new MES. That's that's still in flow, but people get the benefit of the mm -hmm. user experience before they go through the whole hassle of getting new applications up. Well, and and you had mentioned earlier that um, and like I think most CIOs at big corporations and companies. It, this is a very long journey at moving legacy and it, whether you're moving it into the cloud or whether you're just modernizing it, that technology debt, um, I don't think we ever, do we ever get to zero the checkbook out on technology <laughs> debt? I don't know. I would say probably not, but I've heard some CIOs talk about like say they are trying to modernize parts of an ERP system. And I had one CIO who described it as a strangulation thing where he would grab one piece of the ERP and move it on to, you know, like microservices and a more modern architecture. And right. then just, you know, with that user interface layer, um, you must have a lot of talent on that user interface development. So th that requires, yeah. And that requires a real understanding of the business and what the business needs and the, the, the other, I mean, I should say the other parts of the business since obviously business technology is all part of that. How do you go about making sure that your staff, your all of your IT folks are um, educated about all these things? I, I know, I think you just recently, or uh, was it later this month, you're getting your business technology connect together. Yeah, BT is connect is. Okay, is it, do you do it in, in organizations or in gatherings like that yeah. how do you how do you get so we're doing it for the first time because we do have a fair amount of people that are remote we have a lot of people that are new mm -hmm. and so we're bringing everybody in for two days um, for some fun and um, for relationship building it's an attempt to make sure that we um, that we do focus on collaboration that we do share the innovation across the different parts of the function now, in terms of how do we help people learn that, you know, we've been sold out to the Agile framework for a long time. In yeah. 2018, uh, and I ended up having to mandate it. I said, any new project we start will be an Agile, no more waterfall. And that was terribly popular in the beginning. <laughs> Sarcasm, in case you don't know me. Um, but it has permeated our culture in BT ever since. And if you truly follow the Agile framework, you end up having to learn what the business wants. And it's part of why these different applications that we talked about have worked so well, because we have a business product owner. Um, they manage the, um, the backlog. We really do sprint retrospectives and it creates, it creates a terrific environment, um, but it also, really drives that collaboration on the shop floor. Show me, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. Your story is this, what are you talking about? Show me. And um, and then the fast iterations of, you know, we, we had, uh, it was very easy for us to make our sort of internal marketing videos on some of these applications. 
because so many people had been involved in making the choices and the and providing the feedback in the agile process yeah. and we had some business people talk about agile mm -hmm. like they were agile practitioners which was very hard oh, so yeah. it, you know well and a lot of companies have gotten their most mileage out of the work they do in agile by making yeah. sure that the education piece of what agile really means. I had one CIO who said a lot of business people initially think it just means I'm going to get my stuff faster. And so, that's true, but that's not all. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's not true, but yeah. that the education classes um, that you do to bring the business along yeah. is just as important, I think, as getting training on the technologies. I also think there is a unique value in having business and IT people together talking like human beings about what everybody is trying to accomplish. I think that that's gotta be one of the great gifts of Agile. We, um, we try to do that, speak like a person. Uh, I always uh -huh. try to drive um, as much tech speak out. You know, the first few years I was a uh, CIO, I didn't talk like one and I have to make sure that over time I mm -hmm. don't become a wonky IT sounding person. <laughs> um, which I'm sure some of my counterparts can tell you I already am. No, but it's a, you know, I think it's a, it's an intention that you have to have is that mm -hmm. we're going to, you know, we're going to speak like people and we're yeah. going to interact in a way that's as clear as possible. Mm -hmm. Well, I can remember writing about and editing on this issue for many years at CIO magazine and even at computer world that, mm -hmm. that communication difficulty that, and I'm happy these days to refer to it in the past tense. Right. Because I think that one of the, the few silver linings of this awful pandemic period in our history is that there is more intentionality to communicate, yeah, sure. there's more empathy, there's just more emphasis on human beings. That's why we keep doing events around the future of work, because right. work is all about the talent of the team you have together. Um, I also wanted to ask you about um, women in technology. I know yeah. that that is a, another passion of yours, along with insourcing and, and riding around in a hard hat. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the women in technology uh, efforts and, and things that you have done, what, tell us about your, your approach to that and what you have been able to accomplish at uh, Gulfstream with that. Well, I think, you know, I was exposed to an extraordinarily good, I didn't call them ERGs then, but um, that's what, it, what we call it an affinity group at um, AGCO, and my boss had actually started, it was very, very successful. We recently started a um, women's ERG uh, here at Gulfstream, and I'm the executive sponsor, very, very proud of it. It's a fantastic group of women starting it off. And that's employee, think, employee resource group. You're correct. Sorry, see, I used to. I, I used always to alert right on there. <laughs> okay. But here's here's the thing, particularly in the light of um, the labor challenges, mm -hmm. you need diverse talent more than ever. I happen to be a little biased and think that women work very well in IT. Um, mm -hmm. We have as much as I can find. I'd like more. Um, I am very intentional about development for the women in my organization. In five years, I'd like it to be a lot more balanced than it is now. Um, but I have some extraordinarily talented uh, women in my organization, and I know many. And I think um, 
There have been oceans of ink spilled about the difficulties for women in IT. Mm -hmm. And I guess the thing that I would say, you know, the CEO of um, GD is a woman. She's extraordinary. Um, one of our largest business units is run by another extraordinary woman. And they're, they're very inspiring. My boss has been uh, terrific about bringing women onto the leadership team, myself included, and, and never made me feel like it was because I was a woman. Um, and I think, I don't think, I hope that it is very different for the next generation of women, the ones that are coming up now. Yeah. Uh, I spent most of my career as the only woman in the room. Yeah. That's a hard place to be. Mm -hmm. And it's something that if we are intentional about, it can be different down the line. And, and I think we need to do that. And I think yeah. we need to share our experience make sure that opportunities are presented to people and that and that we really lift women up. Sometimes in the past, I would see women who got to a certain point in the organization and pulled the ladder up behind them. I don't, I don't think right. that's a good idea. Yes, yes. And I'm, I'm very grateful to say that I've only met one or two women like that that pulled the ladder up behind them. Same. And that, you know, but their you don't head- forget them. There, it was a woman publisher that we had at Computer World who moved me into the editor-in-chief position there back in 1999. So I'm totally dating myself, but Computer right. World had never had uh, a woman EIC before. And it's, you don't even spend much time- Open EIC, Mary Fran. Editor-in-chief, there I am <laughs> dropping, I'm dropping editorial acronyms. <laughs> fair play, fair what play on your part. Yeah, and it's just, it, and I think it's not so much that you even really think about it after that. It's the visibility of it. Right. It's the fact that you see women and people of color and lots of diversity at the leadership level. And that is something that Generation Z pays a lot of. Oh, attention. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they should. They're, yeah, they absolutely they have the opportunity to drive a lot of change. Yeah. And you have that actually reminds me to ask you about your internship programs. So how, how do you go about doing that in business technology at Gulfstream? Do you, um, is it part of the general dynamics internship levels or how does no, that No, we do it as, as um, Gulfstream and we have quite a few interns. So we have interns, but we also do a lot with co-ops. Mm -hmm. We actually have the co-op program. It's very heavily used in our engineering environment, but we do use it in business technology as well. And that's where if someone's going to a four-year college, they'll go three years, work with us, and then they'll spend their junior year working directly in the business. We pay them, of course. Of course. Uh, and then they go back and finish their senior year, and we hire many, many, many of those folks. Yes. Um, so it's a, it's a mature program. Uh, I think it's a great way to get to know a company before you hit the job market. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it's something we have a pretty good rotation around. It's got to also be a great way for younger people to observe yeah. leadership in action, you know, to see why it makes a difference to be in the room, to right. be able to have the face-to-face -face conversations. I think it just, it yeah. must open everybody's minds to possibilities that they hadn't yeah. thought about. Yeah. You know, I think, I think riffing on that a little bit, people need people. Um, we're made <laughs> to be in relationship with people. Yes. And just like a long distance relationship is hard, Mm -hmm. Possible, but it's hard. Um, I think having 
some of the benefit and the innovation and creativity that can come from a little bit stressful, less stressful environment a couple days, two, three days a week mm -hmm. is different than never being around people. Um, and I, I think that will play itself out in um, mental health studies over the years. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. Well, and I, um, I'm reminded too, with your upcoming, um, your business technology connect, your BT yep. connect gathering, that one of the things you're going to be talking about, you have a whole series of innovation topics. Yes. And I had a note to ask you about the emerging technology trends, the innovative things that you are keeping, you and your top people are keeping a special eye on today. What are the trends, you know, are they related around AI and data? Is it blockchain, right. cryptocurrency, right. that kind of thing? Yeah. I don't want to talk about crypto, I'm not. Okay. Uh, <laughs> You're going to have someone who wants to show up and buy one of those jets with cryptocurrency, I'm sure. So no comment. No comment. Okay. I think there's um, I think there's a there's a couple of things there. Um, of course, like everybody else, we're looking at AI and ML, and and those are very interesting. Um, we'll find applications for those. But really, for us, what you have to make sure is that you're not always chasing the next shiny and not doing your duty around the digital transformation that exists already. We okay. have a easy full plate for the next four years. And that is, that is really our focus because otherwise you can distract yourself on the, oh, well, we wanna do this. So we often get asked to, I've seen this shiny, I'd like to strap it onto what we're doing and we say, we need to dedicate our time, treasure, and change management to getting transformation done. So we get off 22-year-old applications before we, you know, you can't strap, you can't strap a jet engine onto a um, little red wagon. You have to make sure that you stay dedicated to what your focus is, get through as quickly as you can. Now we always have people that are, you know, looking at XR, and we've done a fair amount of. Um, a fair amount of those kind of test cases, um, mm -hmm. some that went well and some that didn't. So we do have a group that continues to try to work on those things. But if you bet the farm on that, you will miss the point of, you know, thousands of people on a shop floor um, trying to get their work done and they can't get a decent signal and it takes 30 minutes to load a model. That's not okay. A yeah. Well, yeah, you, have to, you have to balance that. Augmented reality and virtual reality, that definitely, that plays a part in what you're doing in technology at Gold Yeah, Yes, we, yeah. we have done some there and um, some has turned out really well and some the form factor fell apart and all our work was lost. Okay. I mean, it was, you know, good learning, but um, yeah. I, don't, I don't think a lot of the form factors are really mature enough Okay. To go onto the shop floor in a way that spreads. Again, I'm not trying to equip five people. I'm trying to equip 5,000. That makes a very big difference, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you follow or uh, pay attention to specific areas of the startup community around aerospace and that sort of thing, like in the venture capital area? No, I really don't. I know a lot of CIOs do that. To me, that's the work of our other business units, I think, I don't know, it makes me maybe an unusual CIO. I'm not trying to create revenue. I'm not trying to find the next greatest thing that should go on the airplane. And that's part of why I like the business technology. I am not the CTO for the organization mm -hmm. in terms of product technology. 
Um, my laser focus is on how can our business technology serve the overall mission of Gulfstream. And that's that's 100% what I focus on. I don't. Yeah. Well, and every I think every time we've talked with each other and I've interviewed you on stage over the years, that's always thing back in the back in the way back machine in the way back machine when we did things in person yes yes well we'll do them again i'm giving again, a talk yeah. in october for a group in new jersey and we're okay. just we're doing things in person it's coming back um but that's always the impression that i've gotten that that kind of laser focus and that uh, you know that intentionality about understanding right. how to keep advancing the business um you know, so and maybe a suggestion i have for CIOs, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's just me. I don't do the award circuit. Um, as you know, it's very hard to get me to interview. I know. Um, I know. This took me two years <laughs> to get you on camera here, so I understand. Yes. My my job is in service to Gulfstream, so it's yeah. You know, that's that's where my focus is. I'm not trying to get my next job. I'm not trying to win right. an award. Well, but I always like to point out that CIO 100 awards are not for you, they're for your team. So the team already right. knows it's awesome. They are extraordinary and very resilient. Honestly, mm -hmm. that's a shout out I would do. I think my team has been incredibly resilient. Um, yeah. I have a I have a fantastic team. What? Yes. Mm -hmm. I, I'm only as good as my team. <laughs> well, and it could, you know, to throw some, uh, not, not shade your way but to throw a compliment your way i think that you tend to attract and keep people that way so my final wrap-up question for you i know you don't take praise easily i don't want you to hide under your desk while i'm praising you what have what have some of the unexpected challenges of these last two years what have they taught you as a leader a leader who already was pretty good going into this and what kind of things have you learned or what sort of revelations have you had to yourself that have changed you as a leader going forward? So I think, I think one of the biggest things is um, I was raised by Stoics in a Stoic culture, mm -hmm. tough it out. Uh, <laughs> my children would provide that feedback on me as well. Um, and I think I've learned, you know, like many of us, um, it's really important to check on people. Um, Amy Gillen from GDIT calls it, how are you really? Um, and yeah. I, I think that's a good way to do it, um, particularly for folks that are new in their career or newer to the company that don't have that network to rely on. Mm -hmm. uh, but we need to we need to check on people. We actually ask people to participate with their cameras on and, and things like yeah. that, partly because I'm not gonna lie, I have a maternal streak. I want to make sure they're okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I and I think that's really important after the last two and a half years. This is a I've been doing this a long time. This is a weird and rough time that I think we're not gonna get out of for a few more years. So, you know, let's be good humans and check on each other. Yeah. I don't think that'll go away. Um, I think, I think um, maybe as leaders, certainly myself, more humanity leaks out a little bit, and that's a that's a good thing. You also see when people are under sustained, long-term, incredible pressure, you see who's really a good leader. Yeah, who maybe needs some coaching, and that's a. Um, so that's another silver lining. I think I think the last answer I would have is, um, boy, find some humor in the dark times. It's always there. You can, uh, sometimes it's the funniest, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I 